WNBC. Fuck it. We'll do it live. <laughs> What's up, guys? What's up, man? <laughs> What's up, man? We're back. Hard out. My favorite movie with Clint Jones, VFX wizard, director, yeah. <laughs> producer, right? Crater. Yeah, the, everything. What was that cardboard shit called? Cardboard. Yeah, so, cardboard warfare. Cardboard warfare. Yeah. Are you aware of that, Chris? I, I saw some thumbnails when I was cyber stalking them, but I yeah, dude, he crushed the internet back in the day as a youngster. <laughs> Where were you in high school when you were making those? College? Uh, I was like end of high school. Yeah, it was my friend's senior project, so yeah, it was high school. So for people who don't know, they made like full on epic battle war scenes. And did you make an actual feature? No, I'm I'm doing one though. Yes, I was going to say one. you should. I was going to suggest that. Anyway, it's uh, where all the props, the tanks, the guns, all the equipment, everything is just made out of cardboard. But you play it as realistically as possible and dramatically as possible, you know? It's, it's funnier awesome. that way. It's funnier it that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, um, man. You guys are doing this for real. I'm going to bust out the real mic. Um, all right. That works. Let's see if this just magically works. Maybe it won't. Who knows? Sweet. There you go. Yeah. Sounds great. Good. Great. Is that the setup you use when you do your tutorials and VFX shit? Yeah, yeah. This is the stream setup. This stand is so janky though. I gotta get, I gotta get a better one. Anyway, I'm excited to freaking chat about uh, Kung Fu Hustle. Dude, that's his favorite movie, Kung Fu Hustle. Cats out the bag. I've seen it probably since <laughs> '05-ish when it came out. Yeah. It had been a while for me too. Yeah, same since pretty much around right after it came out. And I just watched it again last night. Shit is hilarious. Dude, it's spectacular. Oh, I remember it being funny, but I didn't remember it being like as fucking hilarious as it was again watching it. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, the, the effects and, and the heart and everything. It's it's a nice package. It really is. Yeah, it's a full, complete movie. You know, I've seen it countless times. And it's just one of those that like, it makes you cry. It makes you laugh. It makes you, you know, it makes you think it blows your mind. It like, and I love that character arc too. You know, someone who goes from like, kind of just being a, a scrappy, like wannabe gangster to no, like I've, I, I've chosen the side I'm on and I need to be on the right side of things. Like, I like that so much. That's mm -hmm. almost where the power derived from, you know, it's like yeah. just choosing the right alignment and Dungeons and Dragons unlocks some fucking special powers okay. or something, you know? absolutely yeah have you guys seen any of his other movies no man i need to go back shaolin soccer i know oh, huge man. yeah i was always like eh, i don't know soccer fucking you know um, which i didn't play soccer growing up but um i need to see it man after seeing this again i'm like i gotta go through that's the problem with the show we keep having people turn us on or turn us back on to right. awesome shit and they're like now i gotta go through his catalog and i don't have time to do this shit my, but i know my two watch list is unbelievably long <laughs> yeah it's it grow, growing at a faster rate than i can watch anything and when we do these shows it unearths old shit so we're not even fucking with new stuff this is how old people end up only liking the music from their era yeah, totally. you know it's just too much a deluge coming at them and eventually you're like wait wait i need to fill out the gaps in my generation you know yeah, yeah you're, you're used to like what you're comfortable with you know yeah and that yeah that's part of it a little bit yeah so how old were you do you remember when you first saw this flick did it just blow your mind as far as the possibilities of filmmaking or what because it's pretty Man, i wish i knew the answer um <laughs> i could guess maybe because i'm 29 right now and I probably Fucker. saw that movie when I was like, when did it come out? Oh, four. I think it was came out China. I think maybe oh five is when Tarantino kind of blew it up here. Right. So that's what? 15, like about 17 years ago or something. About 12. Oh Three. shit. That's perfect. Oh man. Yeah. Maybe I saw it when I was like 14 or something. Like I saw it with my parents. I know I saw it with my parents. We rented it probably from Blockbuster or maybe it was on TiVo. I have no idea. Um, but Seven, 17 years ago, I was 30. <laughs> How old I am. He was a year <laughs> older than you are now, 17 years ago. You look good, man. You look it's good. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, um, I just remember like watching uh, the intro scene and being terrified because like when when – at least for me, when I watch movies with my parents, it's like, I hope 
okay so when i this is the way i was raised right? i was raised very very christian um not to the point where it's like you can't read harry potter but you know it was like you anything was fine as long as there wasn't nudity it's like okay nudity you gotta close your eyes um cursing that's fine but as long as you don't start cursing up a storm then you know we gotta lose the cursing it never got to that point i, I usually i never curse anyway like just kind of you remember your parents ever turning a movie off that you were loving halfway through because there was cu- too much cursing like some tarantino you know, shit or something i mean my dad showed me um reservoir dogs so oh nice all right so yeah that's, all right that's my um, kind of christianity yeah <laughs> gotta be at least watch some reservoir it's just the dogs. skin man that's it it's just, that's the fucking he had like <laughs> the original sin, man. yeah you know all that stuff um but uh yeah so i remember watching that movie and this only happened a couple times i know it happened with inglorious bastards with the beginning of that mm. but for both of these films i was both i was i was like oh god i hope like i'm on the edge of my seat this is really intense right now and like i don't know what to expect and like i hope it's not too much for my parents right now because i want to keep watching this because i don't want them to turn it off <laughs> Not that they had turned anything off, but That's still. It's a great it was... tension, though, to have added to your <laughs> right. viewing experience. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, it's like. <laughs> That's funny. This shit's real. Elevates it in some way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The stakes are higher, man. And yeah, I just remember like the dude getting chucked into the police sign in the very beginning. Yeah. I was like, this is so good. Like, everyone. <laughs> God, he's such a good filmmaker because uh, this is the whole point of this, this whole thing is like to talk about how great this is. Um, the way he intros it with like you you're hearing the sound of this of like something going down in the police station mm-hmm. and it's like yeah. just kind of like kind of free moving through the police station and everyone's kind of frozen like like what what's happening and then a dude mm-hmm. gets straight chucked into the police sign and you're like that's the best intro ever yeah like, yeah the sound was a so beating kind of right before it happens you're like this is a beating yeah mm-hmm. and then boom and yeah it's like the reveal of information pure cinematic purely cinematic yes. that it's revealing if it's intriguing you first off then it's revealing information all visually not a word said you know it's pure mm-hmm. cinema man it's mm-hmm. beautiful and it's violent and crazy yeah. and shit and then once you step out in the operatic street, it's visionary yeah mm-hmm. exactly and then it's just super goofy with a musical number yes yes Some Looney Tunes <laughs> you know what you're in for just... that yeah um <laughs> and it's like the mixture of comedy like it, it's kung fu hustle is one of the funniest movies i've ever seen yeah and it's also Dude. a very like violent movie too mm-hmm. which i love like i love that yes. they put out all of it together but that's what cartoons are daffy duck right. getting shotgun in the face wily coyote and roadrunner it's all violence mm-hmm. yeah this just you know didn't use animation use live action to do it that, but, uh, that chase scene in particular between the landlady and uh <laughs> yeah. guy that that was that totally reminded me of some roadrunner shit <laughs> oh like 100 percent. that's 100%. perfect Dude, and it somehow gets away with it. I can most movies trying this shit would just fail. He just yeah. got what it takes to put Had it the all right together. keyed in on the right sense of humor. Yeah. And the casting, like some of these kung fu masters are just these like <laughs> very pedestrian looking dumpy dudes and stuff. I love that shit. Yeah. So the, yeah. It's so good. Um the guy <laughs> who I think it's the guy who dies. No, no, that's Shallon Soccer. I've seen so I've seen like all of his movies, so I, I get them mixed up. But um, no one mentions him ever when they talk about the best directors who make the craziest movies and shit. Yeah, people would talk about Luke Besson or something before him. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, it's crazy. Um, I I, f- I feel like uh, Edgar Wright is the British version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A little bit like he's very his visual comedy is is like top-notch yeah uh, like scott pilgrim you know amazing movie when when he when knives rings on rings the bell and is like is scott home and then it like whips over to his roommate who answers the door and he's like no he's out right now and then he, you see him dive through the window in right. the background like <laughs> the window is like higher than head height and he like <laughs> he dives out the window <laughs> like so yeah i love Ed- edgar wright is amazing too for you know very similar reasons but yeah Stephen chow i feel like is this like low-key incredible mastermind and he's not really doing stuff anymore like he is doing kung fu hustle too supposedly but i don't know he did the mermaid last which was eh. it just it made me sad because i'm like 
he's kind of hitting on all these jokes that I loved in Kung Fu Hustle and Shaolin Soccer and King of Comedy mm-hmm. and like that were fresh oh, then. Yeah, and he's just like, uh, he's trying to phone it in for you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Kung Fu Hustle, I'd say, is like. If sometimes that happens, or someone will come along a game changer and they change the game, but then their own shit thirty years later, they it, it's old hat because they already established it. You know, it's essentially yeah. what's going on. Yeah, and I know that he got into the rumor is that he got kind of mixed up with triads and money stuff and like (laughs) that just makes him even more epic as a director yeah and like he got into real estate i think did a lot of real estate stuff afterwards after kung fu hustle um oh my god funniest story ever (laughs) so my friend this is so good my good friend his name's arthur toe and he's a dit on you know he was he was there at the um during the revenant he's been there on everything like all the all the best stuff and um, he is Chinese American, and I don't know how he got in this situation, but somehow he was the translator for Stephen Chow on a big like press junket thing for I think Kung Fu Hustle. I think it was either Kung Fu Hustle, an or American Chow's. press junket like yeah. over here. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, he has no business being in this position. Like, dude, what are you doing? <laughs> speaks chinese (laughs) (laughs) wasn't there there. someone in the news who had like been faking hand signs on some speech oh my god that happened recently they're just throwing up gang signs and shit during the speech (laughs) oh my god the fuck are they doing (laughs) that sounds so stressful uh, right (laughs) some mr bean shit i tell people the main reason i'm trustworthy is because i'm lazy and it's just too stressful (laughs) to maintain lies and keep (laughs) track of shit i'm like i can't keep track of the truth I'm not trying to fucking lie to people. Anyway, I was saying he, he was translating on this tour. Yeah, he was trying to. It was just for this one. Um, and like, you know, you'd have an audience member ask some, you know, some question to Arthur. And he was like, uh, hey, Stephen, you know, what, what was it like to um, direct these actors? You know, they're a very prominent actor in China. Uh, it's cool to see them in an American. Well, you know, it's like a big, big in America now. What was it like to direct and work with that actor? And then Arthur would just like, just like look over to Stephen Chow. And he would be like, in his translation, like, was it fun? And <laughs> <laughs> super basic shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> was then, it like he could he could understand it when he heard it, but wasn't so good at speaking it? Was that? What was going I don't on? know. I don't know yeah. how he got in. Well, because people were asking him in English, he'd have to translate. Right. It to Chinese. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That's what so I he, mean. Yeah, it's difficult yeah. to translate it, but then like you know you could you know from English to Chinese, but maybe he could pick up the Chinese better. Yeah. So and then whatever Stephen Chow says, did he just come back and make his own right. shit up then? Or yeah, yeah, I know. So basically, like Stephen Chow just looks at Arthur and he's like. Was it fun? Huh. Yes, it was fun. And then, like, he looked at Arthur. Trinsley. How was it working with this actor? Yes. <laughs> yeah, basically, that was like, uh, that's what happened, like, for, like, five or six questions. And it's like, oh, my God, to be in Arthur's shoes, that would be terrifying. <laughs> to know you're just butchering it. <laughs> Dude, that's a move to make if you're some kind of social terrorist, though. Like, he could go in there and just ruin relationships. Yes. How was it to work with this actor? Uh, sucked. Yeah. that's what he said big asshole. Yeah, exactly. that'd be crazy but that's a scene right there that's like a really stressful scene that i yeah. can imagine that's sounds really like a legit like anxiety nightmare uh-huh um <laughs> i love movies like that about liars chris and i talk about it all the time shattered glass the hoax mm. these movies where people mm. have started a lie and they just have to keep living it and it snowballs with another one and shit you can't get out and eventually mm-hmm. you're like I just got to tell a lie big enough that I can get out from under all this shit. You know, like we, we reviewed a movie about a real guy recently. Someone else's favorite movie, Ryan Jackson's Chameleon Street. And it was about a guy who faked even being a doctor and a lawyer and all this shit. And he even did like, I forget how many, but it was an insane number of hysterectomies. Well, faking being yeah. a doctor, it was like 40 something yeah. hysterectomies he did. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And this movie Wild. was totally just informed by it. But there was a real dude who did this. Yes. He like wow. ended up in Congress and shit. Just several crazy cons that went all the way, pretty much. That's nuts. Yeah, um, usually you get caught before it gets to the point where you're 
performing surgeries. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But if you're good enough at it, eventually like in the seventies or something, I think. When it yeah, nowadays you can't out. get away with shit. Nowadays it feels like, but that's crazy. Um, I just recently watched the uh the Bikram yoga documentary. Did you guys? Uh, no, but I've heard just like Joe Rogan and people like that talking about that dude in the past and some of the scandal and shit. Yeah, it's pretty insane. He just Is like this the guy who faked being like a cult leader. Or so? Mm, he well essentially the idea is that like he um he took his practice from india and he came to america and he and he said that like what he learned from his teacher it was actually his work Uh and he basically plagiarized and stole it said it's his ideas and he became like the first the only yoga yeah yeah yeah, exactly and like he became the only yoga superstar that i know of Mm -hmm. um so I don't know if you guys know, I'm big into yoga. I really love it. Um, I technically I have my, you know, got went to teacher training. Um, nice. So I'm serious about it. I do think it is the key. That's why you're so much healthier than me in right. every single <laughs> capacity. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I just, I just think like here, think about this. When you're like 80, right? Maybe even now, right? You're going to slip and you're going to fall and it's at, at that point when that happens and you slip and you do the splits and you're like, Oh my God, I just went like, I stretched my muscles and tendons the furthest they could possibly go in the, like that I've, that I've pushed them to in the last 20 years, you're going to tear something. You're going to, mm-hmm. it's going to be so bad. But if you do that every week, then it's just a Tuesday, you know, yeah. conditioned yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I wish I could get into yoga. I, I, the foresight, I try it. Though, right? Yeah. Yeah, I need to think of it that way. That might motivate me better. <laughs> Neither of us are super though. mindful, and I'm I'm even worse. I'm like so full of anxiety and shit. I'm like stuck in every moment, like dealing with it. So I can't <laughs> even think of when I'm 80. I'm like, wait, I'm gonna I'm not gonna make it to 80. I'm gonna die tomorrow and shit. You know. Um, well, so you it's hard to get into yoga in that way, but man, it's beneficial. You can see the benefits oh, of definitely. it in people who practice it. Obviously, absolutely. And even a lot of athletes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. he, he was legit. Like he legit he stole good shit. He did, uh-huh. yeah. And um, but you know, he uh, he basically started hitting on all the women there, and then um, had raped some of the women there. And he would hold these giant teacher trainings, and like basically, once the teachers passed teacher training, they would go and start their own school under his name, and then they would like basically as a teacher in this smaller school, they would say, Hey, you, you, and you, you guys are all amazing and you should go to the teacher training. And that's the only way you can go to the teacher training. Oh, you have to also pay like $10,000, but um, they would just cherry pick all these people. So he would just get all these women to come to his, his like teacher training and just like pick whatever women he wanted. And like, yeah, you know, sexual harassment, rape and like, it was, bad. was just was just really playing bad. the guru card trying to probably mm-hmm. get these young yeah women yeah. to you Nexium know look at him as a god and yeah shit. exactly like that yeah cult status stuff man that is gross yeah really and he's still doing it he's still teaching and he's still doing stuff 2019 he did one teacher training in, in mexico or something you should infiltrate one with some hidden cameras and shit dude or did these people who made that documentary do they have footage of the actual train so yeah, that's what we got to get oh no, no there's there, there's there's footage of, of like Mm. the actual um the actual uh yeah, teacher yeah, yeah that's you gotta that, find that's some actually. girls you gotta groom some young women to become yoga experts like charlie's angels <laughs> they infiltrate right and then borat <laughs> jumps out of the closet <laughs> exactly uh, that'd be crazy get the evidence giuliani is ass basically yeah he's a, he's a pretty jacked up dude but anyway shell and soccer or no we're talking we're not we're talking about kung fu hustle you make what me was watch Favorite scene? What was your guys' oh, like? God what, damn. what was the biggest laugh for you guys in that movie? Oh, shit. Which may just I mean, be an exhale. Which may, may just be like. <laughs> but that counts. no, 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 that's no, big no. News, just, you know? Well, I mean, I don't guffaw when I'm by myself. Usually, I watched it by myself mm-hmm. last night again. But uh, yeah, dude, I had an ear to ear smile on the whole fucking right. time for the most Her part. Just, it thing. is like watching yeah. Looney Tunes, but cooler, you know. 
when he's um, picking people to fight out of the crowd dude, and yeah. he's like you you're small yeah. and then he steps Amazing. out with giant muscles and you're short yeah. and he's like dude that is buster giant. keaton charlie yes. chaplin level mastermind uh, shit. and the landlady throughout you know just die in this flip. racket you know yeah just, just the reveals with her too with so many people the idea that these people are not what you think they are uh mm-hmm. whether it's the tailor or the fucking who was that other dude the con kanji maker or whatever fucking yeah the, the, the roller guy yeah the dumpling maker or whatever yeah the dough guy yeah um or it's the landlady or whatever mm-hmm. sing himself who steven chow plays like nobody's yeah. what they seem and it'll switch it's weird like it's very rare you see in a movie where it sets a character up like the landlady to be one thing and then you're like oh shit she's a completely different thing through the rest of the movie you know yeah that kind of character reversals and reveal i guess really her true nature is rare and it almost feels like cheating but it works in this movie so well because your expectations of how movies work and everything are already so subverted and dashed you know Mm -hmm. that when he starts to pull little moves that i might have questioned more in another movie it's like you're already fully on board dude that's the that's like what i want to do is like do whatever you want have fun with it and like getting the audience to be okay with it i think as long as you do it within the first 15 minutes i think you're good right that buy-in yeah you gotta well like you mentioned that dance number in this you know that just from there you know anything goes you know it's well it's like we were just talking to kevin arbois our boy, our boy, he said, right? <laughs> Fucking I don't remember. <laughs> um, well, Bong Joon's fucking uh, mother was his pick. And how that's, that movie opens with a three-minute scene of her just dancing in this meadow by herself, the Kim Mother character, you know? What what movie is this? You ever seen Mother from 2009? Without the exclamation oh. point. Is that the one where, like, the kids, is that the one where the kids, like, duct tape like the-, the mom or something to the bed? Or that no, but that sounds awesome. Whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're thinking of Spank the Monkey, but uh, no. David O. Russell, Spank the Monkey. Oh, man. The the mother, monkey. 2017. American. Nope. That's the uh, Aronofsky version. That's the wrong one, which I watched for the, I watched the wrong <laughs> mother for the That's review. Funny. <laughs> yeah, he is hilarious. So we're trying to do a follow up one where we've all seen the same thing. Oh, we'll talk the, about both of them. They, the, this one has the exclamation point. That's, that's the one you know I the difference. Right. That's, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> we're saying Chris accidentally watched Mother right. <laughs> instead of Mother. <laughs> but uh, no, but it just, it's a kind of a murder mystery thriller. But dude, you got to watch that movie if you haven't seen it. Definitely. Yeah. Like my fiance I mean, would love that too. We would definitely watch that together. Yeah. I mean, Studio made Parasite, Snowpiercer, fucking the host, you know. Dude, it's amazing. Parasite, super solid. I, I was not the biggest fan of Snowpiercer though. That's I don't funny because we said the same it. to him. <laughs> he even agreed that's his favorite filmmaker. And we're like, there's just something about that. Well, it's exactly kind of what we're talking about, too, that you need that buy in. Right. And right. there's a narrative hook we all know as storytellers. But as a director, you need to think of a tonal hook. You mm-hmm. got to hook these people on the tone so they know this is the tone of this movie and you buy in. And like, you're, it's exactly what you're talking about with the opening scene and sequence, you could say, of kung fu hustle where it carries from that shit you described to in the street where all the gangs just or the elements of the same gang the axe gang converge from every borough almost like some gangs in new york shit you know but it's all one gang Mm -hmm. and then they bust out these hatchets and the action is stylized and from that moment on with the music cue as you said kicks in it's like you you know you're in for that kind of ride snowpiercer maybe didn't work on that level or the affectation of it you know uh steampunk stuff like that sometimes hits me that way i'm like would this shit really look like this in these i think i think steampunk stuff just reminds me of the audience the fan base yeah exactly what i'm getting it feels like almost (laughs) pandering to or catering to a fan base yeah it's like i'm at a convention you know or something is the way i feel the affectation seriously yeah yeah because it's always in these dystopian societies that would be utilitarian by design yet everyone's style conscious and i get it as a aesthetic you know yeah it's like I a fashion a sort of right the area yeah but it's as a storyteller sens- sensibility yeah you know mm-hmm. it just doesn't resonate with me same but kung fu hustle doesn't have those problems you know no not at all man dude the the moment 
I think I think this is Kung Fu Hustle. Is the lo- yeah the lollipop? Yes. Yeah. Man, it's so good. Like when he realizes, so basically he's a gangster, and like he goes to, or he's trying to prove he's a gangster, and he goes to the lollipop stand and like robs this girl of like I don't know a couple bucks, mm-hmm. and then like holds her up with the knife. And dude, the, the and then the shot the Fred Astaire like, poster, yeah, Ginger Rogers, yeah, it's, man, that's so good. The homage again, it feels yeah. so classical. All of it. He he was inspired as a kid to be <clears throat> like a kung fu hero or whatever, and then he saw this girl that you know in a flashback. You see that he saw this girl uh, being bullied, and she had the lollipop. And when uh, he tried to protect her, he got his ass beat by the same guys that were bullying her. So when later he goes to this ice cream stand and I love too, because they were just showing the flashback just before that. And he's saying, I realized then good guys never win. I want to be bad. I want to be a killer. Right. Ice cream. Where? <laughs> and, yeah. and then they run over to the ice cream stand. And then, yeah, the girl, <laughs> the girl at the ice cream stand was the same girl that he had tried to protect and had that pivotal moment where he realized that the good guys don't win. And I got to be a bad guy if I want to succeed in this world, like these other guys, you know, and, yeah, the lollipop was the recurring motif to that, uh, like cross that crossfade from like the old lollipop mm-hmm. to the dang, and the music there was perfect. And like, isn't she blind? Wasn't she blind or something? A mute. Yeah, she was mute. A mute. She was mute. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Well, and then at the end, it does the same match cutting with the lollipop when he mm-hmm. finds the broken one or whatever. Right, he's trying to put it back together or some shit. And it falls apart, or she, she was, is, and then it, yeah. yeah, she is, and then it cuts he to shattered it, yeah, a huge like neon sign of it because seeing mm-hmm. Stephen Chow's partner in crime, this flabby dude <laughs> with these terrible <laughs> axe tattoos on his chest because they're trying to get into the axe gang, but it's all way too big and everything. You know? <laughs> it's hilarious. Uh, it's all it truffle shuffling like the Goonies and shit, right? Really. <laughs> yes. But uh, <laughs> dude, there's a there's a scene in Shaolin Soccer. <laughs> with that same chubby guy and um like it, it, it like it's him basically at his deadbeat job at some grocery store <laughs> and you know at the point in the movie Stephen chow's character has asked all these all of his old friends hey would you do this with me you know be on my soccer team and let's use our kung fu remember your old kung fu he's like, oh i don't do that anymore people he's, he's like people call people don't call me by my real name they just call me fat slob and like it's like, oh my god, dude, that's horrible. <laughs> and then someone, some old woman comes in, hey, fat slob, like, can you get the toilet paper for me at the top of this giant thing? And then oh, I'm, I'm I'm jumping all around. But anyway, he's like, he he like shows his picture, and he's like, oh, that's not me anymore. And he's like emaciated. He's like so skinny. <laughs> and he's like, dude, what happened? You're like 300 pounds now. That's insane. <laughs> but just fat that, slob. Just that joke, dude, of like. Uh, what happened in that time frame? That was a hilarious moment. Well, speaking from hustle experience, when when, <laughs> when uh, the the um, the knives kept it like he, tr- oh, he was trying to oh throw the God. knife at the landlady, and oh then it God. just landed in his shoulder, and just like it kept happening, he just kept getting punctured by these knives. And then the so snake pulls it out, and the yeah. guy's like, "No!" So he sticks it back in, like, "Oh." And That's one of the best. Buddy tries to throw a basket at, at her, and it has snakes yeah. in it, and they all fall on him. It's great. Physical comedy. Shit. It is yes. Buster Keaton shit, dude. It's right. top shelf, man. It really is. Yeah, that's one of the best jokes in the whole movie. Yeah. Is, the, mm-hmm. is the the knife thing. And who's throwing handles? <laughs> yes, yeah. the, there's a handle hits her in the head because the blade's stuck in homeboy. <laughs> and I love, like, inventive kung fu powers and shit and the guys with the music, you know, playing oh, an instrument dope. and sending fucking blades of air at people and stuff. That shit works it's in a badass. horror movie or something. Uh, you know what I mean? It's like the... That's another thing tonally. It's like kaleidoscopic where it has this basic kind of motif or tonal, you know, framework that you can hang everything else on, but it'll take switches. It'll be like, this is like horrific. This is scary. You know? Yeah. When it was first introduced and the guy was walking down the alley and you just see like things getting sliced, you know, he doesn't notice at first. And then the cat, the shadow of the cat. And then he's like, yeah, those well, and just how orchestrated those shots are. I mean, it's a tracking shot, mm-hmm, shadow mm-hmm. work with timing. And it's yeah, 
So he's visionary. Truly visionary. Tarantino gets away with that tonal kind of shifting sometimes too. When you think of like the basement in Pulp Fiction or one of the coolest ones for me is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That whole Spawn Ranch scene is some of the best horror movie shit I've ever seen. It's almost like a mini horror movie inside Mm -hmm. this hangout movie, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of how those dudes felt to me because that's just that steadily within the aesthetic of it, just even the way he'd hit the note, boom, just something rad about it. I've never seen shit like that before. It's out of a video game, but kind of cooler than anything Mm -hmm. I've seen in a game, you know? Or like a comic, you know? absolutely yeah absolutely or for i mean stephen chow is to me the best director to do live action anime though he's not doing anime he's not he's not adapting uh like an ip but he visualizes and makes these moves real he Mm -hmm. he makes it actually happen like there's a move in kung fu hustle when the whole axe gang comes to infiltrate and the masters all reveal themselves and i think it, it's the guy who put all the rice on his back yes the guy who yes. caught who cat who catches the flame catches yep that guy he does a move where he like runs forward he he jumps up mm-hmm. and then he like turns his body horizontal to the ground so his chest is facing down as the two axes mm-hmm. come over his back yes and he drop kicks a guy and it's like that move is definitely impossible to do but the way that they shot it it looks like it could actually be possible and it's Mm -hmm. like straight out of an anime straight out of the matrix yeah the 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 choreography is top notch i heard a rumor that samo hung actually choreographed all of that he's done samo hung is so you have jackie chan right Yun Biao and Samo Hung. And those are the three dragons. That's what like all the old movies, you know, like Samo Hung was probably the most was probably the most famous Samo Hung movie. Like if you ever watch old Jackie stuff, he's in all those. It's always the three of them. He's the bigger guy. Um yeah, I mean he he was an Ip, Ip Man too. Did you guys see Ip Man right. too? Haven't watched it, but no other. I haven't sure. either. I hear about it all the time though. We gotta yeah, get more on it out. Asian cinema, dude. Yeah. I mean, Have you seen Ip, the first Ip Man? No, oh, I haven't seen any of them. Oh my god! I know, That's... dude. We got some gaps. That's partly why we're doing the show. It's like someone yeah. else to speak passionately about something well, they love. Turn us on to it. Come from our scene, of course. But in our like early twenties, we had seen everything on the marquee in the theaters and stuff. But then we started writing, and and since then, it's all been focused on our own stupid projects and shit, That's and not consuming as much as been a big part of it. Yeah, but well, um, I'm I I'm in the same exact boat, but just shifted forward. Like how right, many years? exactly, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, There's yeah. You were where you that period when you were watching out. everything was during that renaissance. Because, yeah, we mm-hmm. probably started writing and shit three yeah. years, four years before Kung Fu Hustle came out even. But uh, we've been around. <laughs> Man, but writing is, is so hard. We're old. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bitch. Man, yeah. Directing I'm, I'm... is hard, too, but it's mostly just hard socially. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, logistically, yeah. Logistically. But it's all a pain in the ass, essentially. Yep. But writing is just a different kind of flexing, different muscles, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd much rather direct. <laughs> That's why. Well, um, when you direct, the times you have to get creative are awesome. Yeah. Like creative problem solving. That's one of the, probably the most appealing part of directing to me. But it's because it's like this mm-hmm. moment that you have to rise to the occasion. Writing, mm-hmm. it's that all day. It's like Sisyphus. It's a constant mm-hmm. act of creation. And it's fucking just taxing. And it's so easy to get wrong because it's so subjective. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like it's more subjective than bad directing or not, you know? Bad directing is like... That's objective, pretty much. You could tell it when you see it. Yeah, I, mean, I think, but it always comes back to the writing first. You know, the script yeah. is the mm-hmm. foundation mm-hmm. of anything you're going out to do. And, like, you can... I wonder, do you guys have any examples of, like, a great script, but it was just directed poorly? Man, there's fucking millions of examples, I know, but... uh I'm sure. I'm just trying to think of one off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, I can't think of it. Like, I can think of movies I don't like, but I don't know if that necessarily means the. Script well, there's that amazing. famous saying that you can make a bad movie off a right. good script, but you can't make a good movie off a bad script. You know, yeah, and that's true for sure. That's an excellent, yeah. I would say. When it comes to the processes, too, that 
the thing that always attracted me to writing was like this sort of deep sea diving flow state you can yeah, achieve sure. whereas with directing and stuff it's more like you have to be on point you're making decisions you know Whack-a-mole. it's all like in this narrow you know capturing lightning you know uh, limited time everyone's you know got to be on point but with writing you can luxuriate in it more you can you know if you if you can enter that flow state that really is the goal you know right. and once you get there it's it's like money is keeping your life simple helps as a writer like once you get a family and all that shit Mm -hmm. it's hard man because then it becomes a plate you're juggling you know you can't really hit a flow state you need to have a two-hour window to write Mm -hmm. yeah good luck hitting that flow state you know like you would Mm -hmm. if you're just hanging out all day yeah well a lot of my best writing was done after we sold a script to zach efron to then it gave it afforded us a couple years where i could quit my day job and i just lived at jay's place and didn't have any kind of responsibilities or anything and Mm -hmm. i could do that i could deep sea dive every day and yeah when you when you're trying to juggle a day job or family or what have you it's it's you know and you're trying to just squeeze it into these little windows of time it's it's a whole different animal that's why i quit my job at corridor is because I couldn't do everything I had to choose. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Yeah. It's like, it's been so much fun to be able to focus on my stuff. And like, it's so rewarding already after the first two months, it's like super rewarding and I already know it's going to go up. Well, you've already found ways to monetize. That's the thing that's so hard for people working on speculation. You want to talk about this NFT shit at all? Yeah, I'd love to get into that if you're interested. Are dying to talk about it. Sure. I don't know how many details you want to get revolve or uh, divulge or whatever, but uh, well, the first time we ever heard of it was we were having a rap party virtually for Cactus Jack with Nate and other people, and uh, he mentioned that you were getting involved with it and. You know, first thing I thought was a fucking tulip uh, craze in, in Holland. If you're familiar with that, like, no, what people are buying stuff that isn't physical, like, you know. Uh, Do you want but, to tell what the tulip craze then, was? Then, or? like a, a week or two later, Beeple sold his, you know, yeah. uh, sixty-nine million dollar. What was the tulip craze? Wasn't it that? I'm trying to remember the exact specifics. It is it was, an interesting um, footnote of history. Well, yeah, it was just exactly. like um, where it, there was this fad or this craze that took over in Holland. I forget the years, but it was like 1600s, 1700s or something. And they, um, the the price of a tulip, a single tulip bulb would be like a fortune. It would be like a, a, of the price of a house or something. Like all the elites and started buying them all. Yeah, yeah, the tulips, yeah, yeah. The flower, yeah. Um, yeah, Google Whoa. it. It's crazy. Um, Dude, that actually would make a sick movie. The tulip it would, craze shit. It would. Like just some... Um, it's mentioned in McKay's, you know, popular delusions and the madness of crowds. It's one of the centerpieces yes. of that. Um, but it, it, yeah, it, people would just like s- spend their life savings on a tulip and then just the whole thing crashed eventually right. when people realized well, it's like, would somebody be willing to murder for a tulip? <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like it's uh, the craze at that point, possibly that when was they're before, worth that much. That was before we were schooled more in NFTs, but we're, we still have a lot to learn about it. We considered um, possibly putting up like the Cactus Jack poster, minting it, so to speak, you know, as a digital, mm-hmm. um, you know. Piece. Especially since it's getting rejected by aggregators and shit. We're like, <laughs> yeah. this film is like too, too hot, hot for TV. TV. Yeah. So we figured the NFT thing. It is, it is. But Almost I mean, we've by, got by great. Design. I mean, we're not surprised by that. Right. No. Like say sure. indie film threat one of the more reputable indie film review sites out there gave it a seven out of 10 talked about, you know, how relevant it is. And even beyond that, Michael Gall's performance, et cetera. So we've got some legitimate indie cred, even with it critically yet no mainstream aggregator will take it on to even submit it to iTunes, Amazon, et cetera. Yeah. It's a challenging film. So we were just wondering if the NFT space, if that might help it, at all or heard it at all but even beyond our own project we're just interested as shit yeah in the whole ecosystem how it works philosophically what it's about um if you want to help explain to people out there what it is i mean some people will never understand what a non-fungible token is <laughs> right no matter <laughs> you sold a couple pieces for pretty exactly. prices right so you you definitely yeah um uh, no it's pretty it's deal. pretty nuts so basically like i'm um I'll try to explain as best I can in a short amount of time as possible. So there's the idea that like people know that Bitcoin exists, um, cryptocurrency, right? Mm -hmm. So the way I understand it, the blockchain is a, think of it as a playground where cryptocurrency can like operate 
and it's basically a giant ledger of information mm-hmm. is, the, is this giant blockchain and um you have miners crypto miners bitcoin miners who like dedicate their computer's energy to fulfilling transactions for people who want to use bitcoin or ethereum or any other cryptocurrency as a you know as a currency so the more that people use cryptocurrency and bitcoin or ethereum or any other of these you know uh cryptocurrencies just the more transactions there are yeah the more transactions there are the more miners are needed to do it and like the miners are rewarded for for donating their computers 24 7 energy basically to the blockchain to keep the blockchain like you're investing your computer's energy into this blockchain into like maintaining the ledgers so to yes speak. yeah and peer They're, reviewing essentially it's just all mm-hmm, these computers yeah. at once have a simultaneous similar role mm-hmm. to just monitor it and yeah. host it too kind of or what how does it um just provide the energy just, to like right. yeah the, the hosting side is interesting because that's more sort of ethereal right like um the the it's all across the world on like every computer that's involved in this yeah, it's, it's not. That's not kept in some. That's part of the beauty of it, right? That is not a central location. It's, right. it's exactly. It's not controlled by government or right. anything. Yeah, any one person or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> um. So these crypto miners are rewarded in Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other cryptocurrency by providing their computers energy to keep the thing going. So mm-hmm. you couldn't really buy anything with it, though. Like you know, there's a story of a guy who bought pizza with it. Yeah, was, like spent like uh, what now is three hundred and sixty-five million dollars worth of of Bitcoin. Yes. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. something something crazy some, like that. Some kill yourself number. <laughs> I know. Yes. Uh, and uh, the guy who actually sold the pizza to him sold it. To, you traded it for like a, a trip or something. You yeah, know, right. Some kind right. Of vacation or whatever. And now, yeah, he should have held on to that too. That. Yeah, I hope it was <laughs> like. I hope it was like Branson, Missouri or some shit. Not even some exotic. Like he went to Egypt to see the pyramids <laughs> right. he dreamed of as a child. It's like to see the giant spool of yarn or get right. a bus ticket. He went to see Jason Aldean in Branson or something. <laughs> now, specifically, NFTs are just like a certain amount of cryptocurrency. There, uh, they occupy a certain part of the blockchain, right? When you mint something, uh, a digital piece of art or what have you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's like essentially a string in the blockchain that's made permanent and can real be owned estate. by someone. Yeah, every transaction is a block in the blockchain that's stacked on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and the art itself is not on the blockchain. It's basically right. a like text reference to the art that's on. This is what fucks everyone up so much. The sort of like a certificate of authority or authenticity, rather. Exactly. Um, exactly legitimizes it yeah but like for anyone who deals in hard physical goods like say baseball autographs Mm -hmm. you know if you got a mickey mantle autograph and you got it psa certified or whatever never in a million years is that certification you're gonna become worth more than the autograph but the nft thing is so crazy because that nf that authentication is all there is that's what's worth the money right because you don't get to own the piece of art necessarily um you're you're just buying like the token that says it exists. Well, or one, something. one uh, to me. demonstration of that I've heard is say when someone owns a Picasso, for example, you it still can be digital digitally reproduced on the internet, just like mm-hmm. an NFT. So even though you have the physical copy, the same thing can happen. Like that, you don't actually own the image itself. Itself, you just happen to have that physical copy. But yeah, with this, it's like there you're just essentially quote unquote minting one digital mm-hmm. copy, but it doesn't exist as a f- physical right. medium. With the Picasso, yeah. you still own the historic artifact right. of this canvas right. that this fucking master painted on. I mean, give me a break. That's completely different than that's what I'm saying. It's so weird. So it's yeah. f- for you, like you made a piece of digital art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've done I've done two auctions at this point, and I'll be doing a third. Which is Probably. fucking awesome, dude. I love you so one. much for doing this and pulling it off because it's crazy. I mean, the like, art I... you made is dope as shit, too. Can people see it somewhere out there? Or can we post a picture of it here? I mean, who owns it? You? That yeah, guy I mean, you can just go superrare.co slash ponisher. Yeah. You can see it there, I believe. I don't know how to pronounce that shit. Ponisher, good. Let's see. Let me make sure that's correct. 
uh, super rare. Punisher's an amazing net name, by the way. Like you fucking parked on a good one, dude. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, they're they're both up there. Um, superrare.co slash p-w-n-i-s-h-e-r um but yeah so basically the way i heard is the reason people are put like paying so much for this is because never in cryptocurrencies history have the people um who own a lot of cryptocurrency they've never been able to buy anything cool with it Mm. and this is the first thing that they can buy that's like cool and there's a ton of artists that they love. A lot of these guys are nerdy. I'm nerdy. And it's the freaking nerdy mix right there. It's perfect. a way to support other, it's a support artists. Yeah. It's like, they're, they're going to be into nerdy stuff. They're going to be into like Freddie W YouTube videos. They're going to be into corridor digital. They're going to be into like my YouTube channel, the people who have cryptocurrency to spend now that uh, crypto art is a thing. And it just happens that I'm an artist and I can, you know, mint this piece and people will pay, pay for it. So it's freaking awesome. It's do really, you expect really... this to last or do you think it might be like the tool crazy and you're just capitalizing while you can? And Oh, I mean, I'll certainly like make the most of the time I have. Cause especially now that I'm like on my own, it's like, I have to live. I have to survive. I mean, if it exists though, you could just keep, I mean, your prices might keep going up and up and up and you can become a superstar in the NFT space, but that's the question is how long is it going to last? I was just wondering if you had any inclination or hunch mm. about it. Cause who fuck knows, but I have no idea. I think it's kind of tied to how cryptocurrency does. Like, obviously if, if, if you guys follow it, there was a big drop in cryptocurrency yeah. price. Um, so if your if your crypto isn't worth anything anymore, then no one's going to be buying any art anymore. You know, thanks to Elon. I'm just <laughs> Those yeah, coins are hustle. <laughs> Uh, but well, if it okay. goes back up, you know, if it go, if Ethereum goes back up to like 5k, then that means people are, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's a boom. I wonder if the gonna... counter might be the problem though, because things are often counterintuitive that the more cryptocurrency becomes legitimized and people can buy cool shit with it, they don't need to buy these tulips because right now the tulips are the cool shit that they can buy with it. Like you said, you know, but when well, you yeah, eventually yeah. start buying other stuff, other cool stuff. yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Whatever the whole spectrum of things you can buy, you know, the more legitimate it becomes. I think you're like, still going to have those like serious art collectors who mm-hmm. really enjoy this. Um, I went to a dude's place who's very, very big in the space here. Like the top, you know, he, he, he's one of the top collectors and, um, yeah, like he he's just doing this 24/7 and like got super cool art on the wall. Like they just love the art. They love collecting. How do so. they display it? Is it a digital display? Like yours is a moving living image, you know. Mhm. So if you see in Beeple's stuff, basically he sent out a physical shipment with the NFT for people who are like, what is this? I don't understand. Oh, it's something physical. I'm buying this. Okay, I see. Mm-hmm. So they get this giant box and in the box is like basically a giant like thick glass case that's like i don't know yeah it's it's like it's like five inches by like eight inches or something and it actually displays a piece of art and it moves so it's just a lcd screen and they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and yep, you can yep. frame up on your wall like huge, mm-hmm. huge ones, you know. So, which is pretty wild to have this moving. Piece that makes a lot more here. sense, though. It's a lot yeah, easier for I people agree. to wrap their mind around that than just the non fungible token they're purchasing. You know, well, what I mean? another aspect of this it's is nuts. like the NBA, for example, is selling like videos of so many seconds of a game, yeah. for example, right? And that, in a way, is sort of like bragging rights. It's like saying, I own this piece of history, like I mm-hmm. own this like score or whatever. This totally. You know, so I, I think in, in that sense, that's how this works, too, is like I it's like bragging rights. I own this piece, even though it doesn't physically exist. I, I own, you know, the one minted copy that is considered. And I got to say, like, I, I've dabbled in digital art, you know, through my life. And um, I always lamented that that was the case, that there was no form of, you know, making one painting that had value. You know? Yeah, same and, same. and now that it's actually happening, kind of blows my mind. Uh, I hope it does continue and prosper. Me too, as an artist. <laughs> yeah, so. certainly. Um, I mean, there's so, so much good shit out there that people have had a hard time monetizing. You know, it's like maybe you can do a 
small commission or something, but there's also the, like the bidding war aspect of this. It's like the whole thing is a gallery because you go through auctions, right? Can you yeah. tell us about this auction process at all? Because do you got to get yeah, vouched in question. we hear? It's some kind of... Well, no, it depends thing. on the platform, right? Yeah. So to be able to post on the platform, like super rare, I'm on super rare. It's like mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's, it's like a vetted process and they only have, I think they only there's like 1300 artists on it right now. Mm -hmm. um, there's another one, Nifty Gateway. That was like right. one of the top ones, but I heard recently they kind of oversaturated. Um, is that the Winklevoss? The Winklevoss one? one. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. And then there's like uh, Maker's Place which is really nice right now. They're doing a good job. And then like, it goes down from there, but yeah, like there, it's hard to get into, certainly hard to get into. I was fortunate enough to like get in early enough. Cause people actually, he reached out to me and he, he, I don't know, spent an hour or two to just do a video chat with me and tell me how, what this is like, what I'm telling you guys are now, like he did with me. And he was like, this is what this is. You got to get on this. Before, like it's gonna go crazy. So Beeple was a fan of yours and reached out saying, "Dude, jump in on this shit." Yeah, yeah. Because we awesome. we've <laughs> we've done stuff in the past together. Like when I was at Corridor, we all we did render challenges together. A few mm -hmm. of them. Um, there's a show VFX Arts React. That he came on and we did together. So like, and we were all at the all all at the same conventions and the same you know hangouts because we're in the same space. You know, we're all doing right. digital art together. So, um, yeah, he he broke it down for me and said you know get into this so i got in early and um or earlier than some what i which i would still consider late but um yeah and then to actually bid on the stuff you just need to have an ethereum wallet essentially and have some ethereum in there can you explain and the gas to me nft gas like yeah that that's how what that's calculated pay. and yeah so like that's the energy that you're like you're paying that What's the best way to explain this? Um, it takes energy to mint your art, to put up an auction, to sell something. It takes actual like power, you know? Fuel. Yeah. So that's what the gas fee is. Like you're paying the computers, like those miners that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. You're paying those guys to see the transactions or you're paying. Is it based? Pay. Is it based on like the value of the sale or is it just like a fixed number no. that when you put the piece up, that's it's like X dollars. I saw like 70 bucks here and there. Some people say yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it would cost to put up a piece of art or something. Okay. Is that dependent that's on like the bandwidth that that piece of art takes up or anything or is it? No, I don't I think, think it has so. to do more with the, the um like the gas itself fluctuates, right? Like just like real gas, the price of gas, yes. like the Ethereum, it's based on Ethereum primarily, right? Or it's like how many people are minting right now that's what it depends on so i've heard is like if there's a bunch of people like needing to use you know the service then it's going to be a lot like you can check it right now so let's see eth gas station Sweet. so let's say if we were to put our cactus jack poster up for example what do you think would be the best platform for that would it be um if you can get into the like foundation maybe okay that's probably the best one that's like the first that's like a very doable vetted service. So you're going to have to get into that. You're going to have to sign up. You're going to have to get invited to that. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I'm not on the foundation, so mm -hmm. I can't send out an invite, but you know, people, um, I think you guys could probably do it. I mean, it is unique. It's like, it would be, you know, and then there's the question too. I see that, you know, you can release just one singular piece or you can have like limited editions, you know, say a mm hundred -hmm. or something of that nature. What did you do in your example? They were like singular, unique. One of one pieces. Yeah. yeah. It feels like have the move if you really want to try and capitalize on that one piece mm -hmm. sort of, you know, I mean. Yeah. But here's the thing is like, if you're trying unique. to make money. Yeah, like, know. It's tough. You're, you're, you're going to make the fastest way to make a million bucks is to make one thousand one thousand dollar sales versus one one million dollars million dollar sales. Yeah, There's yeah. no way you're making mm -hmm. one one million dollar sale. Like mm -hmm. you're gonna make a thousand thousand dollar sales. So places like Point. Maker's Place, um, I think Foundation does it as well. I'm not exactly sure. They'll have the open editions. Um, Super Rare is only one of one. So ah uh, okay yeah interesting. Which is good for buyers who are looking for a one-on-one. They don't want to yeah. sift through all that. I'm sure a filter could handle that, but still, it's just cool to have a marketplace that caters to that sensibility. Right now, minting you, price is low. 
Oh, okay. When I minted mine, so this number is not USD. When I mint, nice. When I minted mine, um, it was 130. And that was roughly 70 bucks. So maybe maybe half. Okay. Right now it's 30. So you could expect somewhere like 30 to 100 or so, depending on the. the it's current. like 15 bucks right now. Oh <laughs> shit! Oh nice. shit! We gotta do that for the hell of it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, if you want to get into a place that doesn't have any sort of like vetted process, you can try Rarible or OpenSea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those don't need to get. You don't need to get like in, but I would suggest getting into. Yeah, if you can get into try a vetted first, if yeah. you feel like it's like a flea market haggle versus the Sotheby's auction or mm-hmm. something, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. The more exclusive, the better. In terms of getting some whale or something to buy your shit. Yeah. Do you have you? Corresponded much with the guy who bought your stuff. I almost wanted to have a podcast with someone like you who sold something and the cat who bought it and the buyer. Yeah. yeah I would love to have that conversation take place, but I'm just wondering if you know anything about yeah. the guy, what he had to say about the art or why he bought it or anything. I mean, he's a fan. He's been a fan of my stuff for years. Um, it's cool. And we met up, I got him lunch. Uh, he's super, very nice. Uh, very funny. We played a lot of smash bros we're nice. both big gamers yeah so like it was it was cool usually i don't know about usually but like there a lot of the times like the these collectors will be anonymous right um but this guy was like super cool um you know we're gonna meet up later too like he's he's awesome yeah really cool yeah, and like weird, i learned a lot some... from him too you know like he taught me a lot i was like i, I, I have all these like <laughs> well like the perception of yeah like the perception of like which sites are better than others or Mm. like the low-key like info on like who's doing what you know which collectors are doing what that kind of stuff so it's like really interesting trade speak crazy man you're in the middle of a cool scene it's so crazy it's still hard to wrap your mind around it and whether it's gonna last or not you know there's some risk there which makes it fun and interesting Mm -hmm. you know yeah certainly but I'm not putting all my eggs into that basket. I'm trying to diversify as much as possible because, like, I can't. The way I think of it is, I can't make the movies that I want to make if, like, I am worried about eating or paying rent. Yeah, like, it's a problem. Be as business minded as possible. Um, yeah. Well, what's up with making movies in the NFT space? Are you thinking about exploring some kind of NFT release or? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Because I'm curious about how rights work with that. It seems like some films are actually giving up distribution rights. Yeah, that's as part what they're of the selling NFT as an package. NFT. Mm-hmm. Which I wonder if that's the move to make. I feel like it's maybe a compromise by filmmakers yeah. who are always so desperate. We always compromise mm-hmm. out the gate on everything, writers and filmmakers, where it's like, bros, you could just be selling the NFT. It yeah. could have value. Right? Yeah, it's like some artists are making a commission on sales of the nft i heard so you keep the rights and you also make a commission if the person wants to go sell it beyond that right yeah so you make 10 percent. the second every secondary sale makes 10 percent. that's awesome. that's beautiful and that's you awesome. still keep the rights yeah amazing totally. um i was gonna say one beauty of this though is that we were talking about say a picasso for example which is a great a hilarious example because um a physical painting can be destroyed whereas this can't even famously have you ever heard of stephen wynn <clears throat> destroying a Picasso by accident by putting his elbow through it. No. <laughs> he, like yeah, a Wynn Hotel just, guy? Yeah, I think he had just bought it and he was like, it was oh, like on an easel next to him and he like turned around and his elbow went through it. That's like some oh, matter of fucking a Stephen yeah. Chow movie. So I was going to say, that's actually a great selling point for NFTs. You know, you can't put your elbow through a digital. You don't need insurance. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> right. I mean, you think about the insurance think, price when they see even an episode of fucking... What is that show where they, you know, the country road show, antique road show or whatever, where they'll tell you this should be insured at $280,000 or whatever. Yeah. It's like, you don't need to insure an NFT work of art, do you? I mean, right. You, I mean, it can't be just can. it's sort of an EMP blast from the sun, which we're right. all doomed anyway if that happens. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm but not there's sure hardened NFT can destroy shit out there, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, is the well, blockchain I- impervious to solar flares and emp blast you know if that shit's under all shielded hearted locations or what 
underground bunkers <laughs> i think i don't know I, I i think it's like every person's computer who is helping keeping it alive like you'd have to they have to shield it and everything you like i'm making this up so don't believe me here we should but, create like, a quality control mechanism well, where we rate and authenticate that is like every computer that is helping the blockchain exist has to be destroyed so you have to like right. track them down every <clears throat>